This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and 89 Impact FM. My name is Andrew Graham. I'm a reporter with East Lansing Info and I'm here again with a new co-host voice. We'll come up with a title for you eventually, Chuck. We'll settle on something, but Chuck Grigsby is back here again. Chuck, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good. It's uh it's Thanksgiving week. We're recording on uh, Monday, November 22nd for anybody listening to this. So hopefully by the time this reaches anybody's ears, if they're in the United States, they've had some some turkey or whatever their Thanksgiving feast might be. But we're uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about sewage, sewer infrastructure, flooding, water infrastructure in the city of East Lansing, which remains an endlessly fascinating topic and an endlessly newsworthy topic, especially since this summer. So I would hope most of the listeners would know, and Chuck, you're obviously familiar living here, that there were some very heavy rains at various points in the summer and not so heavy rains at various points in the summer that caused flooding. Um, There were some particularly hard hit areas, particularly around North Lawn in the Glencairn neighborhood, and Bailey neighborhood. And the specific sort of issue was that it was sanitary sewer backups for a lot of people. So that means sewage in their basement. And this led to last week, the week of November 15th, when there were a few public presentations. So first there was a council, a presentation to city council by interim public works director, Nicole McPherson. Later in the week, she held a webinar for the public, which actually was kind of a dud in my eyes. I, I attended and there were not so many attendees and it didn't, it didn't go the full time. Uh, but that presentation was very similar to the Tuesday one, which a little more detail, but, but broadly the same overview and lastly, the the latest, newest development, I suppose, is a story that I wrote and published on eastlansinginfo.news this morning about residents in Chesterfield Hills, the southern portion of it, around the intersection of University Drive and Michigan Avenue, basically have been for about two decades or so experiencing the smell of poop coming from the sewers, which really got to be unpleasant. So that leads us all to here now with some more to discuss and Chuck, I remember when we talked originally about you coming on the pod, you had mentioned that your basement had flooded. I believe it was a sort of house-specific issue or something, but am I mistaken? That That's correct, right? No, it was uh, it was exactly we had flooding. Um, I remember it. It was August 12th, and uh, I uh, was due to leave town that morning. And so uh, before I could leave, my wife uh, told me that I had to deal with uh, about an inch and a half of water in our basement. Um, due to the way the rain that came in, uh, fortunately we didn't have sewer water. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty significant weather condition that we were all dealing with, and you know I think it was actually you know it was kind of one of those things where uh, some things were going on in the community where they were doing some construction and and it had hit and people were dealing with some serious serious sewage and flooding. I mean I know I talked to a couple of residents that were dealing with it uh, really basically ruining their foundation and they got to get foundation work so. Pretty significant storm, pretty significant event, um, especially in the Glencairn neighborhood, especially that I'm familiar with where I live. And uh, it's something that really, you know, really woke a lot of people up about where we are at with our infrastructure and what is our plan with the you know, water and sewage and, and how we're going to deal with the next uh, flooding that we do get. Well, I think it has a lot of people truly 
living on edge in a certain way of, you know, there's an anxiety when it starts to rain and that's not, a, it's not a way anybody wants to live. And was the, was the August 12th backup or your, your couple inches, was that the first time your house flooded? Cause I think that's the other side of it. And you touched on it for a lot of people. I think most people actually, this was really the first time they had significant basement flooding or flooding at all. Yeah. So uh, we've had flooding before in our basement, you know, I, I, we have an older home and things like that. So I think some of it's, you know, on us as far as what we can do to kind of prevent that going forward. But I do know that we've had flooding in the community and this, what made this kind of really significant was that we had flooding on top of sewage, which I thought was a newer issue that was, uh, that we were dealing with as a community and how people were uh, uh, involved with the, you know, the rain, with the flooding. So that really changed the dynamic. And when you have sewage water and you have health issues that come on top of that, you know, you have that professionals come in sometimes to clean up some of these different uh, places that I've talked to with, with a couple different people. And so it was a pretty significant change into what we've dealt with before on top of it being that kind of rain. I think, well, how many, how many, how much did we get in what uh, a day and a half? I think it was like a couple of feet of water. I don't know what it was, but it was yeah. pretty significant. I uh, know just over about a six hour period that August 11th, 12th night, it was about a little over seven inches of rain, which is oh man, a, I think it's a, th I believe that reaches the thousand year, rain event threshold meaning there's about a it doesn't mean it's it's a once in every thousand year thing but that doesn't mean it sort of happens every thousand years you could have it happen two years in a row but it's the chances of it happening are one in one thousand effectively so a hundredth of a percent and that's just really rare for one but that wasn't the only time things flooded in the city there was a very intense rain on september 13th following that about a month later that caused some people to have flooding and it hadn't really come to me as a reporter prior to this, but there had been some flooding, I believe, in June or July, sometime around midsummer, where there was a rather routine but heavy summer rainstorm that caused a, a somewhat notable amount of flooding for people. So it's not it's not like there was just this one massive outlier storm. There's been a couple others, and the outlier storm and the worst of the flooding might be attributed to that, but that's not it. That's not the whole root of this. It seems I guess what is that sort of something you've, you've heard from people. Yeah. You know, I, you know, as you guys know, I was in the community just doing different things, talking to a lot of different people. And after the flood uh, and the storms hit, you know, um, the significant one in September, but yeah, there was previous ones, but the conversation really changed because a lot of times people were talking about how, they're pretty happy with the utilities, pretty happy with things. They notice increases here and there and some of the you know different things that they're paying towards water and things like that. Um, but they were okay with it. But as soon as that situation happened, as soon as we had that flooding, a significant one in September, the conversations really changed quite a bit about where is my money going to, what's going to happen next. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in a situation where, you know, every time it possibly could rain, I could be ruined. So it was a really interesting dynamic and shift in the community as far as what the focus was. And then when it comes to how the city responded, I think, really did not help in some ways because people uh, were trying to find answers and they weren't able to get them answers. Um, and so, you know, the city, I think, did a great job in backpedaling and getting that information out with some of the presentations and making themselves available um, to ask, be asked questions about why, what, and when. And, and I think that, uh, you know, at the, that's the best they could have done at the time um, dealing with this as far as the infrastructure information. 
Right. I will say I'm having, I, I joked with my family that last week for me was a infrastructure week, but I, uh, having watched both presentations from Nicole McPherson, I definitely learned a lot. I, I can tell you that the wastewater treatment facility is designed to move about 18.75 million gallons of water daily. And I, I do have a, like you said, it's that sort of baseline, the understanding of how the system works, how it's supposed to work, what's all there, what's underneath our feet. But it didn't, like you said, sort of leave me or give me any sort of inkling of, well, how does this get better going forward? Part of that, and this is what I wanted to get to next, is there has been a push specifically and specifically from Mayor Ron Bacon to do a review of the sewage and the storm drains and the whole sewer system around the construction along North Lawn Avenue in the Glencairn neighborhood. That area was sort of, I guess, the most notably hit by flooding from August 12th. There were some houses that had up to eight feet of water by our understanding in their basement. And there was a contract proposed at city council for Tetra Tech, which is the company that originally did a sewer study in the 90s, to come and do a sort of a third party investigation, so to speak. And that's going back out for more RFPs, potentially, depending on what action council takes this week. It's unclear if they are going to take any at this point. But there's sort of been a balance of there seems to be a very clear desire, and it's moving forward that there will be a review of what happened around Glencairn, just because I think it's too nakedly a coincidence for the city to just say it isn't a coincidence or like it's it's to everyone's advantage, I think, to have a clear answer and to have something that they can say, here's what happened. And there's no hearsay. There's no people arguing about it. The question then gets bigger about should it be the whole system or should it just be looking at did the construction impact there or not? So I'm curious about your feelings about potentially opening up a, a sort of whole system-wide review uh, where that would potentially get us. I know we're, neither of us are engineers, but I'm sure you've heard a lot from a lot of different people running for council and the the sort of immediate value of getting what happened on North Lawn, I guess, answered or, or squared away versus assessing the system as a whole and giving everyone answers. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because uh, um, the oldest parts of East Lansing, if I'm not mistaken, were the ones that were affected the most when it comes to the damage. And I could be wrong about those facts, but, you know, it was a good substantial amount that I'm aware of. And I thought that was interesting. Um, With this study in the uh, RFP that's supposed to be going out, um, I know that uh, the newly elected council member, Brookover, I really wanted to make sure that when we did – bids and we opened up uh, research avenues for us to be able to kind of find out what's going on in our city. He wanted to really open that up and utilize other resources than we had before. So I thought that was really interesting because I know uh, Mayor Bacon wanted to just throw it on the consent agenda um, and just go with a company that uh, we previously as a city had worked with before that had a baseline understanding of some of the different things we had going on. But his plan was to remove it from the consent agenda to, you know, talk about that and open that up as far as bidding to get that independent. Um, so that was interesting to me. I think that uh, it has to be a citywide research 
analysis type, you know, requests that we need to have overall for what our sewage and water is doing and what we can do to prevent that because we are going to have more storms. We are going to have more flooding. We want to be in a situation where our climate has changed from what it was 20, 30 uh, years ago to where it is now. And our infrastructure needs to be not only, you know, looked at in a way that is able to sustain these issues, but also be improved upon as we go along um, with upgrades. Right. Well, and I think the the climate change element is that very challenging portion because it's, I think everyone is kind of broadly in agreement that it's played a role here. Surely the water table has changed. The frequency and intensity of storms is better. The the sort of environmental changes humans, we have caused of permeable surfaces, parking lots, trees, foliage changing. And so, yeah, I think it's not even just a full assessment of just the infrastructure, but the infrastructure relative to the world around it. Because I think if you just at this stage considered, well, the pipes and the drains and the, the manhole castings and everything, you might still not consider or not account for, admittedly, a hard variable to gauge, but a critical one to consider at the end of the day. That's I think that's a very critical point that's kind of, it's been brushed against, but I don't know that anybody has a clear answer. I certainly don't for how one can assess the impacts of, you know, various climate change are having on East Lansing's sewer system specifically. Um, and I think that too is where it gets to the the full system review of hiring Tetra Tech to review the Glencare and North Lawn Avenue construction project, I think is something everyone is for, but it's just, it answers one question for a neighborhood or an area of a neighborhood, which is good, but it doesn't, it leaves a lot of other people who I've heard at various meetings ask for a citywide review. There's Elias Strang, Dr. Elias Strangis, who, or not Dr. Elias Strangis, his wife, Jane Turner, is Dr. Jane Turner. Elias Strangis, who's an engineer, asked at a Lisa Babcock's town hall for a system-wide review. Lisa Babcock has kind of been on board with that from a political standpoint of she kind of acknowledged, you know, if that's what people want and need to have confidence in this system and know that there are actions to take fixing it going forward, it's worth doing that. But I think it's at this point, unfortunately, going to start to become a question of political will and not necessity of keeping infrastructure up. But this is the world that we live in. I also wanted to get to the use of American Rescue Plan Act ARPA funds, which is uh, the latest COVID relief bill, which is pretty old at this point, relatively. They want to pay, the city is proposing to pay for a check valve plan uh, program to help residents install check valves, which effectively are designed to stop sewage and other stuff from flowing back into your house out of the main drain to the sewer. Do you have a check valve, Chuck? I suppose you might not have had flooding if you had one. I'm not sure if you do, though. No, I don't have a check valve uh, system. Um, but I do know when they were talking about that and I was listening to the audience, the community members ask questions, one person had asked, well, if I get a check valve, you know, in my system, in my home, you know, is it going to affect other people in an adverse way? And uh, the answer, I believe, was that we'll have to look into it. We're not quite sure. So I just thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, if this is something that, you know, is going to help some people, but then also create problems for others, it's definitely something that we need to really make sure, I think, as a community, understand how uh, that's going to be something that we implement in a way that doesn't do harm in other ways. Well, yeah, fully balancing those pros and cons, because I, I, that's the other thing I think we've all we've all gone back to sort of high school physics with the sewer system is learning. You know, if you're moving water through a system like that and you close up other holes where it's going out, 
it's going to find somewhere to get out. And that could be manhole covers. It could be, I don't know where, but it's not just going to stay there. More specific to the check valve plan, they want, the original proposal, I believe, was $500,000, and it was to be a, a split. The city would effectively, people could apply, say, my basement flooded because of the August 12th rains. Here's a quote from a plumber and an engineer or contractor I got. It'll be $3,200 to install it. The city would then, you know, write them a check or help, help pay it in some way for 1600 Since then, Councilmember Lisa Babcock, again, and a couple other residents have, have suggested that that program cover the cost for check valve replacement or installation in full, basically just on the principle. And Cindy Roper, who attended Lisa Babcock's town hall and is on the Commission on the Environment, said at the town hall that basically just the it's, it's the heartbreaking nature of what happened to some people in their basements and losing, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars of property in measurable losses, but also the immeasurable of family heirlooms and whatnot. And so there was, it's kind of still up in the air. I'm not, I'm not sure there's entirely clarity on whether the program will cover the full cost or not, but it's since been morphed to, in the most recent proposal, a million dollars over two years. And so I'm kind of curious from your standpoint, you, we, we just touched on it. You mentioned you did not have a check valve. seems like something you would be positions to take advantage of and might want to no? yeah i think so i you know it's anything that's going to help uh sewage not coming to my home is is always going to be a plus <laughs> easy you way know, i know <laughs> when you think about that you know the american rescue plan act i think we're talking what about 12 million dollars is, is the number 12.2 12. i think is the official round figure yeah yeah and you know we and I, the number i thought for at least a partial Insulation that the city was going to be looking at was around three thousand. I don't know where I got that number from, but you know that money is going to get eaten up pretty quickly. Um, right. And I just wonder, you know, if again, if that is something that you know, hopefully it does eliminate the problems, but it doesn't create other issues for other people in different areas. Uh, if you know, with the guarantee of that not happening, I think it's going to be something that's going to be helpful. I think as people were hearing that presentation and trying to understand what the issues was i think in the back of their heads you know you're just you're just wondering so how how does this change me how does this help me how do i fix this how do i not worry about the next rainfall <laughs> and so i think that was one a great thing to be introduced um hats off to uh council member babcock and trying to really lead that and make sure that there was some direction and, and a solution because i think right now we have a system-wide problem it's going to take a long time to really address it, even when we do have the review of it all in a way that uh, it's going to be a number of years. And we're going to have many rains and many floods in the meantime. So what can we do uh, as we get caught up and updated and upgraded with our system? Right. I apologize for all listeners for the garage door and dog barking in the background. It's become a frequent sound effect for me. On a similar note to the ARPA funding, it's come up and it's this even less clarity than the, the full ARPA plan is the bipartisan infrastructure build the build back better the the federal infrastructure money of which the city is expected to get some amount um lisa babcock again her thing she kind of mentioned it a couple different times last week was that this money is kind of a new, a new deal opportunity for the city it is a chance to do something potentially transformative and to to create something that are you know my kids your your kids grandkids whoever will still you know take for granted be you know this is a pillar of a, like our life here S sewer infrastructure might not be that but it might be worth it i, I guess i'm kind of curious of your your take on 
obviously we don't know the extent of the problems. We don't know the extent of what would fix it or what that would cost. But it seems like from the average taxpayer in East Lansing, that would be a good use of that money from their perspective, no? I think so. I think really with this money, you know, it comes far and few between. It really has to go to fundamentally sound things that really will address our critical issues. You know, and when you start divvying up this money and spreading it around, you have to really be conscientious of, are these things that we're going to have to have continuous payments on? Are these one-stop and pops where it really addresses the issue uh, for a very long time? And it's not something that we have to keep throwing money yet. So this infrastructure, I think, is one of those stopped pops. And we really have to make sure that every single cent and dime and penny, in my opinion anyway, that really addresses that so we don't have these long-term problems where the money has to keep being put in and put in to really uh, sustain what we need to have as far as our critical infrastructure. I do know that that would be very, very important. I know it is important to some of the community members when they think about how to best spend this money in a way that goes to its maximum potential to address their everyday issues. Well, and I think it's it's to circle all the way back to the beginning of our discussion, it's kind of that you take for granted the water and sewer infrastructure working when it works. Flush the toilet and it flushes, you don't think about, ah, good job sewer system, good job public works, because it's just, you expect it. One of the many fortunate things of modern life, of course, but I, it's, yeah, it's that it comes into even hotter focus and it's something that we should take for granted because we can obviously have water and sewer infrastructure that just works, no sweat, we're not thinking about it. And right now, East Lansing just is not in that place. That's the reality. You know, a lot of residents are thinking about it most days, every day, some days, um, you know, we talk to people in Chesterfield Hills, they're thinking about it, they're smelling it every day. So it's, it's not something that when it's fine, you don't think about it. And then when it's not fine, it's sort of this in the magnifying glass type issue. But to your point, I think you, you kind of hit it a pretty well of it is that hot point issue, but the city might be in this fortunate position of having a big pile of money that it has the discretion to potentially spend to, you know, make a big investment in getting the water and sewer infrastructure back to a point where people in the city are taking it for granted again, in the sort of best sense of the word. It seems like that might be an opportunity. Again, I don't know. I'm sure there will be specific federal guidelines about spending any major water or sewer infrastructure project is a decades long endeavor anyways, to begin with. Usually, so obviously, this isn't something that by 2025 is going to be fixed. And I don't think anyone's under any illusions of that. But I think what could be addressed now, and I think what the city can be moving towards and maybe isn't or is, but not fast enough, is that that peace of mind for residents that solutions are coming and will happen. And that seems to be kind of the, I guess, the underlying thing here, and you touched on it earlier, of people pay a lot of taxes in the city of East Lansing. They want those taxes to work basically for lack of a better term it seems like it's kind of in a precarious spot where people are kind of questioning well what am i paying for absolutely i think it also uh brings the attention so what have we done so far you know what you know what's the history of that and i think the presentation did hit a good point of kind of really letting us know you know some of the different things that have been happening so i know the was the michigan avenue Harrison Roads complete, Oak Hill Evergreen area, the center um, and bill regulatory mod uh, modification is complete. So there was a couple of areas that, you know, we've had some 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 work done and updated. 
Uh, I know right now the North Lawn Avenue is under construction right now. So it really just, you know, brings up to like where these decisions were made and why and what based on kind of really the outcomes of where we're at with some of the different flooding we've had recently. I had a quick question for you. When when you in the presentation heard that uh, the McPherson was talking about the stormwater issue, not a sewer issue, what was your take on that um, assessment of the, the problems that people were talking about? Well, I would have been, I think, angry myself if I had had sewage in my basement personally. And I think for August 12th specifically, she is correct. Um, I don't, I'm not an expert on this. I want to preface that very clearly. But on August 12th, as I understand it, there was so much rain that, that effectively there was going to be overflow between the storm sewer and the sanitary sewer, which is a problem of the, the combined sewer system in the areas that it's in. But there were some areas where it separated and it still happened. So I think George Brookover kind of hit it very clearly in his response of saying, well, there were people who had sewage in their basement, so I don't, I don't know that it's really fair to say that there's, there's no sanitary sewage problem, because even if it was 90% stormwater, and it likely was, I would assume most of the flooding and most of the backups and just most of the issues were of the volume of water, the majority of it was stormwater. But 10% sewage mixing with 90% stormwater in your basement might as well be 100% sewage. So I didn't know what to do with that one. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> just left it alone in my reporting. Um, I did, I did bring up the the Brookover point. I kind of just let like that's one where, you know, I'm obviously not qualified to make a, a clear statement of fact or you know this is right, this is wrong. But I think it it did bring to light a a difference between how the city might be addressing and approaching this versus how elected officials and citizens are. I also think the stormwater sanitary issue in particular plays out in the fixing it and complications because you start to involve the county storm drains, which becomes the county drain commissioner's purview to repair and work with versus what's the city. The city's in charge of all the sanitary sewer, but also some storm drains. So any big fix is also going to require some level of governmental collaboration. It's not just going to be the city of EL going it alone. I mean, for that matter, the Meridian Township basically leases East Lansing sewer system, as far as I understand it. So I think it is a stormwater problem, but I don't think it's correct to say it isn't a sanitary sewer problem. But I obviously want to qualify that statement. My hands are up <laughs> that I'm not an engineer or anything like that, but I just, I think the the mere fact of people having sewage in their basements and sanitary sewage kind of runs against that statement is I guess what I would say to sum up. That's kind of all we wanted to cover. I think is, is there anything that I didn't touch on that you, uh, you have? No, I thought you did a great job. And I think it comes down to what you were saying that, you know, none of us are engineers, even the ones our community members, you know, we're not experts in this and we hold dear that decisions are being made in a way that affect us in a positive, you know, at, you know, aspect. And so um, people want solutions. They want to understand. They want to know how not to have happen again. I think the city is working on it. I think community members being involved, pushing that heat on that to this issue. I think uh, our legislative branch has responded and uh, it'll be interesting to see what we come up with his answers uh, with the newly elected council and how they all work together with this issue. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that, that entails. Yeah, we're definitely... It's not a great spot to be in for East Lansing. I don't think anybody agrees with that, but I think there are some, there are some ways out and there's, it's, it's, it's not, you know, a forsaken thing. There's a, there are solutions here. And I think it's just a matter of getting to them and getting them enacted. And in the meantime, assuring that people have the peace of mind and that they're not 
running to check their basement every time it rains. But that's all we have time for. Uh, this has been another episode of the East Lansing Insider. Chuck, I want to thank you again for coming on. Uh, looking forward to doing some more episodes after the holidays with some more guests. Got some, some good things coming. So thanks again for listening. Chuck, thank you for coming on. And this has been another episode. East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.